Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. This show is designed to help small business owners, salespeople, and aspiring entrepreneurs master every aspect of business success. We've got a great lineup of guests and topics scheduled for you. We'll be talking about everything from sales to employee issues, from technology to social media, from work-life balance to exploring uncharted territory. Participation is welcome and encouraged. Your host, Diane Helbig, is a world-class author, speaker, and business development coach. Be sure to check out her latest book, Lemonade Stand Selling, on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. And now, on with the show. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. As we said, we do welcome your participation. If you're in the chat room and you have something you'd like to share, please type it in and I will share it with our guests. If you're on the phone, you can press 1, and that will let me know that you have something to share. Today's show is sponsored by Win Cleveland. Win Cleveland is an organization that empowers female professionals by creating new access points for individual business development. They support one another by providing continual professional growth, sharing a wide variety of ideas and resources, and assisting select women-based charities within their community. Visit www.wincleveland.org for more information. My guest today is Bob Berg, co-author of The Go-Giver. Can a subtle shift in focus really make that big of a difference in your business and income? And when combining the shift in focus with five proven laws of success, can your business really become a lot more fun, a lot less stressful, a lot more profitable, and much more beneficial to your clients? Our guest says, absolutely yes. Bob Berg is a sought-after speaker at corporate conventions and for entrepreneurial events. He regularly addresses audiences ranging in size from 50 to 16,000, sharing the platform with notables including today's top thought leaders, broadcast personalities, Olympic athletes, and political leaders, including a former United States president. Although for years he, he was best known for his book, Endless Referrals, Over the past few years, it's his business parable, The Go-Giver, co-authored with John David Mann, that has captured the heart and the imagination of his readers. It shot to number six on the Wall Street Journal's business bestseller list just three weeks after its release and reached number nine on Business Week. It's been translated into 21 languages, and it's his fourth book to sell over 250,000 copies. Bob is an advocate, supporter, and defender of the free enterprise system, believing that the amount of money one makes is directly proportional to how many people they serve. He's a founding board member of Club 100, a charitable organization focused on helping underprivileged local area youth. A lover of animals, he is a past member of the board of directors for Safe Harbor, which is the Humane Society of Jupiter, Florida. Welcome to the show, Bob. Diane, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. I am so thrilled to have you here. Uh, I am also an advocate for the free enterprise system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's one of the things that I love. Um, and I want to jump right in because you have so much wisdom to share, and I want to make sure that we get an opportunity to go through all of it. Um, and I want to start with the title because the title, yeah. The Go-Giver, uh, seems to contradict traditional wisdom. And my question is, Is it intentional, and can you share with the audience what the basic premise of the book is? Yeah, you know, I think in in the title, it's it's purposely a bit contrarian, a little bit of a, in marketing, we might say a pattern interrupt when when people see a title such as The Go-Giver. And, and, you know, and and we say you shouldn't judge a book by its cover or by its title, but as human beings, we do. So it's important to make a a title attractive and something that will will, uh, capture someone's attention, especially the the market you're looking to, to, um, um, to have. And so... Uh, and yet, of course, it has to be congruent with the message in the in the book, which John David Mann, my excellent co-author, uh, and I hope it is. And and the go-giver is really the the premise, as you asked, is, is simply that shifting one's focus, and that's really the uh, the key, the focus, shifting one's focus from from getting to giving. And in in, in this 
context, when we say giving, we mean constantly and consistently providing value to others. And that not only is that a, a nice way to live life, but it's a very financially profitable way to live life as well. Fabulous. I love the whole concept of value, and I'm going to ask you about it in a couple sure. minutes. Um, so now, this isn't really another way of saying, you know, nice guys and gals finish first, is it? Because that seems like that's a bit of a naive viewpoint. Yeah, and it, and it would be naive. It's not that nice people don't finish first. It's just that there's a lot more to it than that. And I, I think before people read the book, I think when they see a title like The Go-Giver – uh, and because of the, uh, the various messages we receive from, from different sources, um, you know, we tend to think that's what the book must be about, some touchy-feely, oh, you know, nice guys, nice gals, nice people finish first. And, and actually, you know, that, that's not what it's about at all. Um, and now don't get me wrong. It's certainly being nice is a great thing. When I say nice, I mean nice and kind. Sometimes the two are different, but, but let's use them interchangeably uh, in this case. Uh, being nice is a great thing, not only because it's just a, the right way to be, but it, it's also easier to do business and be successful when you're a nice person because you've got people on your side who are more likely to want to do business with you, want to be in a relationship with you, want to uh, be of assistance to you as you build your, your business. And so being nice is important, but in of itself, certainly not enough for someone to be successful, success is also, and and you know, and I, and I would say uh, we could we could uh, all prove that to ourselves when by just simply by understanding that there are many people that you and I and everyone listening to this that we would uh, we would uh, describe as as being simply nice people, who we would also have to describe as being simply broke people. <laughs> So, you know, nice does not necessarily equal successful. Um, success is also a matter of doing the correct things in the success process that allows a person to be successful and finish first, if you will. And the five laws that John and I share in the book are simply meant to, to provide those those principles that if someone will will plug into them and apply them together, and, then, and the key is the five must be used together in conjunction, not just one, two, three, four, four, but all five. And if they do that, they, they absolutely must be successful in, in what they're trying to accomplish. Okay. And, and I, I, wanna, I want you to go in depth in the laws because it really is the key to uh, to everything that that the book is about, but I want to talk a little bit about the main character Joe because he's a go getter, and we really are raised to believe you know you're supposed to be a go getter, really highly motivated and energetic to go you know get get get, but that proves to be frustrating for him, and so I'm wondering if you can talk about that in particular. Sure. Well, and and it's it, it's only because he was missing a key element. But you see, what it is is being a go-getter is very important. Um, you know, we've got to take action. And you're a very successful businesswoman, and many of your listeners are successful. And and we all know that that the greatest thoughts in the world, the best ideas, the best intent, um, without action put into the mix, without being a go-getter as well, nothing's going to happen. It, it simply cannot happen. So being a go-getter is very important. It's just, again, not enough in and of itself. Now, the, the neat thing, by the way, is that there there's no natural division between a go-getter and a go-giver. Many go-getters are also go-givers, and I would say that every go-giver is also a go-getter. Uh, the opposite, John and I consider that the opposite of a go-giver is a go-taker. Ah. And that's that person who feels almost entitled, if you will, Diane, to, to, to take, take, take without having added value to the person, to the process, to the, the situation. They're the kind of person that is just focused on themselves. And see, in a, a free market-based economy, uh, and even though we, we don't live in a, a totally free market-based economy, but, uh, but very much a mixed economy, and yet most of us listening to this call, most of us are doing business in a, a basically free market type of environment where nobody is forced to buy from us. And people are only going to buy from us. They're only going to do business with us when they feel as though they are receiving value from you. And you only do that through focusing on others. So it's actually good business 
to be a go-giver because that the go-giver, what, what he or she does is – is they've learned, or perhaps intuitively know, that it's that person who can sort of step outside of their selves, who can move, who can shift their focus, <laughs> who can move from a uh, from from an I focus or a me focus mm-hmm. to an other focus. Uh, my uh, 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 an old mentor of mine, the the late Harry Brown. I, I love what he says. He wrote a great book about about selling, and he said, "Profit is simply the reward for satisfying another's desire." And that, and you can only do that when you're focused on that person. When you're a go-giver, uh, now a go-getter can be a go-giver, but that go-taker cannot. And Joe's challenge was he was a good kid, and he, he was well-intended, as many as many go-takers are. But Joe, aside from being a go-getter, was also a go-taker. If you recall, early in the book, everything was about Joe. Everything was about what he needed to do. It was about his. Deadline. It was about his uh, quota, and I, you know, I often say to my live audiences that nobody's going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet. Right. <laughs> right. They're going to buy because they feel they're getting more in value yeah. than than what it's costing them. Cost being in terms of you know price or opportunity cost or whatever the you know the various costs might be. So. Um, so that's really what it's all about. And so what what happened with Joe is once he met the first mentor, Pindar, and then the others, he began to really see that these people were so successful because they had what we call an other focus. Okay. I know this is why I love this so much because I this just it it it's uh, okay. <laughs> Thank you. That's I, really I, kind. I, I I really it is absolutely so true all, this whole philosophy of taking care of someone else's needs you know wh- when i speak to a group and i say they don't care that you have a mortgage to pay they don't care that your kid needs braces nor should they it's not mm-hmm. their problem exactly exactly right? well that, that's that's very true and it's just it's understanding how the world is Rather than how we we wish it would be, and yeah. which doesn't mean it's not a benevolent world and a great universe and a great place to that that doesn't mean it. It just means that we do need to understand that people don't do business with us unless they feel that they are benefiting in some way, and that's great because that means that to the degree that you can communicate your value to them, that's the degree you're going to be successful. There's nothing wrong with that. There's everything actually right about that. And it's more right because then those are the people who refer you. Those are the people who keep exactly. you around, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay. So I want to get into these principles and, and the um, you call them the five laws of stratospheric success. Mm-hmm. I love that word, stratospheric. We were going to go with mediocre, uninspiring success. <laughs> when we, did, we just decided stratospheric was a You decided that was a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> I would tend to agree with that. So law number one is the law of value. Yeah, this is sort of a foundational principle. They're all equally important. They all need to be used. But this is the one that sort of lays the foundation for it all, the the law of value. And, And this one simply says that your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment. Now, when you first hear this, uh, it, it's rather counterintuitive, and as, as these laws generally are. And uh, it, it sounds almost counterproductive. Uh, well, give more in value than I take in payment. That sounds like a recipe for bankruptcy, if you ask me. I mean, how, you know, how do you give more in value than you take in payment and survive, never mind thrive? You know, it almost sounds like one of those, you know, new agey kind of uh, sounds good but wouldn't work in the real world type of things. <laughs> So we we simply need to understand the difference between price and value. Uh, price is a dollar amount. It's a dollar figure. It's it's finite. It, it, I like to say it is what it is. It's the price. Value, on the other hand, is the relative worth or desirability of a thing to the end user or beholder. In other words, what is it about this? thing, this product, this service, this concept, this idea that brings with it so much worth or, or value that someone will willingly exchange their money for it and be ecstatic that they did while you still make a very healthy profit. Uh, can I give you a, a quick example? Sure, that'd be great. 
Uh, let's take a very basic one, uh, an accountant who you hire to do your tax returns. And uh, this accountant charges you $1,000, and that's his, his fee or his price, $1,000. But what value does he give you in exchange for this? Well, uh, through his excellence, through his ability to listen and understand your needs, what you're looking to accomplish, how your business is set up, through uh, you know, it, uh, through his consistency, through his attention to detail, he saves you five thousand dollars in taxes. Uh, he also saves you countless hours of time, which frees you up to do what you uh, are best at and what you can be more productive at. He also uh, provides you and your family with the security and the peace of mind of knowing it was done correctly. So we see here that the value he's given, while price is, is finite, value can be both concrete in terms of the money he, he saved you, but also intangible in terms of the peace of mind, which, which probably is more valuable than anything else. So what he did is he gave you well over $5,000 in value or use value in exchange for a thousand dollars. So he feels just terrific about it, and you or you feel terrific about it. Excuse me, the client and he, the accountant, made a very, very healthy profit, which he should. And you know that's basically the kind of relationship we want to have with anyone with whom we do business. We want to give them such a fantastic, exceptional, terrific buying experience that they feel just wonderful about it, and we make a very healthy profit. And the only way to do that again goes back to focus. See, when they can tell. That uh, you know that the salesperson or the business person's focus is on the money. Okay, when when they see that you're looking at them as a commission check or you know a, a paycheck or or what have you, and that your goal, that your mind is is fixed on getting their money, uh, they're going to be less likely to feel good about you, to trust you, to trust your judgment, your character, what have you, and the chances of the business taking place it, are are minimized. On the other hand, when they know that you are just absolutely laser-focused, unabridgedly on providing value to them, just the opposite takes place, and the chances are much better for this exchange to happen. And that's, that's really why John David Mann and I say that money is really an echo of value. It's the thunder to value's lightning, if you will, uh, which really means nothing more than that the value must come first. And the money is simply a, a natural and, and very direct result of the value you've provided. So I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about, and I, as I said, love every minute of this, and one of the things that I'm thinking about that keeps coming to my mind is that this is one of the reasons why a good salesperson has to be a good listener. Mm. Oh, because exactly. they have to really hear what the need is and what the other person values. Well, you know, it, it's interesting you bring that up because, in the uh, again, in the, the book that Harry Brown wrote, and it was published posthumously. He actually wrote this in the 19... 19- 60s, but the the book is the secret of selling anything, and it's just five steps to 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 uh, to selling, and, and he he just does this in such a way that he just understands how people work. It's, it's so, so respectful. It just it it goes against all the the stereotypes of what selling is, and and you just hit a big point. The the you know the first thing was you've got to listen to understand and determine the needs want. And, you know when he says needs, I said needs, wants, and desires of the other person. And what he says, and I think this is very interesting, and this is where listening comes in. Harry says one of the biggest uh, uh, questions that salespeople will have is, how do I motivate this prospect? And what Harry says is, you don't. You don't need to motivate the prospect. They're already motivated for to do something. Your Your job is to simply find out what they're motivated by. And then you tie that motivation into the benefits of your product or service. Uh, you know, my, as long my as friend, you can. Pardon me? As long as you can. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, that's the premise. I mean, that you've got something that they want, need, or desire. Well, right. In other words, what I'm saying is if, if you offer uh, – uh, if, if, let's say you're selling cars – 
and what this person and you have a, a you know and you have a, a Volvo and this person uh, you know it, it happens that you find out that their their um, their biggest desire is safety for their family. Well, yeah. you know you tie in the safety features and benefits of a Volvo with that. You're probably not going to talk about the great speed it gets on the highway, or you're not going to talk about how great the color is or the design or the shape, because you know that what motivates that person is the safety. Now, if that wasn't a safe car, you, uh, an honest, legitimate salesperson, would know it's not the right car. So, no, we're always the, – the premise is always that you have something that they would benefit from. That's a great example, and and, uh, the reason that I said as long as you have something is because this is one of the things about salespeople where they have quotas and they have – and they're told oftentimes – and what you said is how do I motivate them? How do I convince them? How do I – that anybody should be a good prospect? Okay, well, maybe, but not necessarily, and you can't sell – to just anybody, it's got to be the right fit. Well, th- yeah, and, and and this is why when you're in your the prospecting mode or when you're in a, however you're you're doing it, it's it's you're making sure you target and attract yeah. your your market. You know, you you're not going yeah. Let's say again, you have a high end type of uh, product or service. You're probably not going to market to people in the lower income, right? You know, category. I mean, it's just you know we. Um, we need to attract the people who are going to be most interested in what we have to offer. But just because they are, that doesn't mean that they're interested. They're not necessarily interested in what we find interesting. Yeah, they're interested in what yeah. they find interesting. If you're right. a realtor and you're asking, you know, you, if you're a realtor, you have you uh, and you're taking somebody around to buy a home. Well, you it, it doesn't matter that you like a certain home. Yeah. You need to ask questions and listen and find out what will motivate them. And for them, yeah. it might be the type of house. It might be how many rooms. It might be a great school system, you know, the, the neighborhood and a good school system. It might be a neighborhood with a lot of kids. It might be a neighborhood with no kids. You know, you don't know. And so you don't try to motivate them to like the home that you find attractive. You discover what motivates them by asking them questions and, as you said, by listening only after you've listened and you've determined what motivates them and you come to agreement with them that that is what they are looking for, now you can go ahead and and help them. Oh, that's another great example. Thank you. Thank you so much. So let's move on to law number two, which is the law of compensation. And help us understand that. Sure. The law of compensation simply says that your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. So law number one says to give more in value than you take in payment. Law number two tells us that the more people whose lives we add this kind of exceptional value to, the more money with which we'll be rewarded. Uh, We take, for example, your accountant uh, from a few moments ago. He did a great job giving you more in value than he took in payment while still making a very healthy profit. And so if you're his uh, client, the chances are you feel really good about him. You would do business with him again and most likely refer him to others. Well, his other clients most likely feel the exact same way. So our accountant is very quickly amassing what we call an army of personal walking ambassadors. And as he continues to add this uh, kind of exceptional value to the lives of more and more people, uh, he'll continue to – uh, to make more and more of an income. So what the, so the key is that in in one of the mentors in the story, um Nicole Martin, who we call the CEO, she told Joe, the protege, that law number 1, the law of value as important as it is, of course, that represents only your potential income. But it's not enough to just give that great value to one or two people. Uh, your 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 that's your potential income. Your actual income is represented by how many lives you impact, how many lives you touch with this exceptional value. So we can sort of take laws one and two and combine them, if you will, and and say that exceptional value plus significant reach equals very high compensation. Nice. I like that. I love the way these all weave together. Well, thank you. So, okay. Um, I was looking at, I've got to make sure we do a, a commercial break, but let's talk about the law of influence. 
Okay. Uh, the law of influence says that your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. Uh, now, again, you know, counterproductive sounding at best and downright Pollyanna-ish at worst, perhaps. And yet, you know, again, you, you know this, that the greatest leaders, the top uh, influencers, the most profitable producers and salespeople, this is simply how they run their lives and conduct their businesses. They're always looking for ways to place other people's interests first. Again, they know they have to do that, whether it's leading a team. You know, when you lead a team, it's never about the leader. It's about those they lead. It's never about the, the influencer. It's about those they wish to influence. It's never about the salesperson. It's about the prospect. And so when we say, and first of all, just as a, as a disclaimer or clarification, which is sometimes necessary in today's world of political correctness, when we say um, place other people's interests first, we, we don't in any way mean that you should be anybody's doormat or uh, a martyr or self-sacrificial in any way, not, not one single bit. It's just that as, uh, as Sam, one of the mentors in the story uh, told Joe, the golden rule of business is that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. And there's no faster, more powerful, or more effective way to elicit those types of feelings toward you from others than by, again, stepping outside yourself. Uh, temporarily suspending, as Thomas Powers from the United Kingdom says, temporarily suspending your self-interest, not foregoing your self-interest. We're human beings. You know, we're, we're, we are self-interested creatures. That good thing. It's, it's what, that self-interest is what allows our bodies to fight off disease. It allows us to create other human beings. It allows us to, uh, or it causes us to invent other products and services or distribute other products and services uh, in order to um, uh, increase our own affluence, which by the very nature of the market increases others' affluence. And so uh, all these things are fine, but it's but what the pro does, what the go-giver does is they authentically um, suspend their self-interest in order to to make their victory all about the other person's victory. And when you do that, that's when you're planting those seeds of goodwill, of great will, that, that people pick up on. And uh, you start attracting the right people into your life. And all of a sudden, you're that asset of value that others are going, going to. Yeah. And they do it because they have the confidence, like they know that this is how they end up succeeding, that this is how they get success, that it isn't by focusing on themselves. Right. It's by, right? It's by focusing on others. So exactly. they're happy to do it, besides yeah. the fact that it feels good. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, and people do things for different reasons. It's like when you when – you, um, when you're obtaining referrals from people, there's there's some people that are going to give you referrals because they have such belief in what you do and in your product or service that they know it's helping others by their doing that. And people have a need to help. Some people do. Some people don't. So, But many people have a need to make others' lives better. And if they can introduce people to each other, if they can refer business to each other, that's what they're going to do. Some people just they, – they, they love being connectors. It makes them feel good about themselves. They enjoy doing that. So, you know, again, it's, it's determining what other people uh, enjoy, what brings other people happiness, what adds value to their lives. And uh, when you connect with that, you know, now you're talking about a really benevolent context, as we say, for your success. It's really fabulous. So before we go to um, four and five, I want to take a quick break and remind our listeners that today's show is sponsored by Win Cleveland. Win Cleveland is an organization that empowers female professionals by creating new access points for individual business development. They also um, participate in helping select women-based charities within their community and support one another by providing continual professional growth, sharing a wide variety of ideas and resources. And you can visit www.wincleveland.org for more information. If you would like to participate in today's show uh, and you are on the phone, you can press 1 and that will let us know that you have a question or a comment. If you're in the chat room, you can type something in and I'll be happy to share it. Our guest today is Bob Berg, and we are talking about 
How Go-Givers Sell More. And uh, we're going to jump right back in. We're, right now we're going through the five laws of stratospheric success. And we are on law number four, which is the law of authenticity. Well, the, the law of authenticity says the most valuable gift you have to offer is yourself. In the story, uh, Deborah Davenport, one of the mentors, related how she learned a very important lesson, and that is that all the all the skills in the world, the sales skills, technical skills, people skills, as important as they are, and they are indeed very, very important, they're they're all for naught if you don't come at it from your true, authentic core. Now, when you do, when you, as I like to say, show up as yourself, day after day, week after week, month after month, people have confidence in you. People feel good about you. People know you, like you, trust you. They, um, uh, you know, they feel secure around you. I, I think one reason is simply because of, of consistency and the concept of consistency. Uh, it, it's a, it's a, a survival value. Uh, survival instinct, if you will, that dates back to humankind when we needed to know certain things in our world were consistent. You know, for example, when people went out hunting, uh, they had to know certain sounds, uh, or, you know, and so forth. And, and they had to know if, if that sound was a, you know, potential dinner or potential diner. <laughs> you know, so consistently was consistency was very important. I think that that stays with us today. We live in an inconsistent world where people have good intention but are very inconsistent and there's a lot of uh uh there's a lot of angst when it comes to dealing with inconsistent people. So so when 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 people when we know that someone shows up as themselves, uh there's a you know, there's a security in that. There's a good good feeling in that. Uh now you know, it, it brings up the question, well, if, if authenticity is so powerful and, and is so valuable in terms of someone's success, why would anyone show up as anything less than authentic? Right. I was just going to ask you that. <laughs> yeah. and I, Well, and I think the the default answer would be, well, because this person's just not honest or this person's trying to pull one over on us or this person is a phony or, you know, whatever. And, and there certainly are people like that. It's a big world. And so there's, there's all types. But I, I don't think that's usually the case. I think, you know, nine times out of ten, when you see a person who really doesn't seem to – you know, to to have that sense of congruency, that that authenticity. I think a lot of times it's that they just don't have the self confidence to understand that they really have you know have something to be authentic about. They don't they don't believe in their own value. They don't walk in their own value, as my friend Amy Wells says. And uh, you know, let's face it, it's it's difficult to show up as yourself when you don't feel that yourself is worth showing up about. And my my feeling is that you know again it goes back to value and I and I think there are two types of value that that people have one is what I call intrinsic value and that's just by nature of being born we all bring bring value to the table but the other type of value is what I call market value and I define market value as simply those strengths characteristics talents that you bring to the marketplace, allowing you to provide value for which you'll be financially rewarded. Um, and different people have different types of value, just like Deborah Davenport had in the story. But she found out, she realized it by mistake, right before she was going to give up on her new career. And you know, so what are the value? Different types of value people have. Some people are great when it comes to connecting others. Some people, some people have a natural sense of empathy, which allows them to really not only understand others, but for people to feel understood. Other people are great when it comes to being problem solvers. Others have a real head for numbers. Others have yeah, whatever. And uh, and and what happens is. If we don't really understand the value we offer, uh, again, it's hard to really show up with that kind of value. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've been either mentoring someone, and I'm sure you've done the same thing as a, as a coach and a mentor, that where, 
where the person's told me something they're doing, which was really significant, and I said, "Wow, that's that's awesome. That's wonderful what you're doing." And their their response was, "Oh no, no, everybody knows that, or everybody does that," <laughs> and and they weren't being falsely modest either. No, they really didn't recognize that what they were offering is very special, and and you know whether. Whether it's that it it was natural, you know, just came naturally, or whether they put in that ten thousand hours of deliberate practice uh, from that study by uh, Eric Anderson that uh, that Gladwell talks about in, in yeah. um, Outliers, or Jeff Colvin talks about in Talent is Overrated, or whether it was a combination of some natural talent and the ten thousand hours. And it's usually a combination of both. By this time, it's become so ingrained, it's become so a part of them that they don't necessarily recognize how valuable it is to the marketplace, which is why it's very important that if someone doesn't really embrace their own value and they're having trouble figuring out themselves, they need to seek out a mentor or a coach, whether it's a paid mentor or coach or whether it's their sales manager or, or a friend who's – but you've got to be careful even then because you've got to make sure it's someone who cares but isn't so close to you emotionally that they can't see the forest for the trees any better than you can. Right. Right. And so, it, so it's difficult. Yeah. But, you know, you, you've got to be able to really – if you're going to operate with a with an authenticity – You've got to understand why that authenticity has great value. Right, and you have to really be able to own your value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to really be able to see it outside of yourself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the law of receptivity. Sure, the the law of receptivity says that the, mo- um, the key to effective giving is to stay open to receiving. And in the story, you might recall Pindar, the main mentor, asked Joe to breathe out and and hold that breath to the count of 30. Well, Joe tried, but uh, in, in very quick time, he, he started to struggle for air, gasping for breath. And, and, and Pindar said, what's the matter, Joe? Can't, can't do it. And Joe said, no, I can't just breathe out. I've got to breathe in as well. And Pindar jokingly said to him, well, Joe, what if I was to tell you that it's been medically proven that it's actually healthier to breathe out than it is to breathe in? And Joe just laughed. He said, that's you know, that's silly. You, you can't do one or the other. You've got to do both. Well, exactly. We've got to do both. Just like the tide you know, goes out, it comes back in, it goes back out. Uh, breathing, we breathe out and we breathe in. We don't do one or the other. We breathe out carbon dioxide. We breathe in oxygen. We breathe out, which is giving. We breathe in, which is receiving. Uh, I think, uh, again, in the world we live in, in which we get so many messages of lack from so many sources, uh, we, we tend to think that giving and receiving are, are two totally opposite concepts, but they're, they're not two opposite concepts. They're simply two sides of the very same coin and they work best in tandem uh, to focus on just one side of the equation giving or receiving and trying to minimize the other is really first it's an exercise in, in futility because uh, you know every giving is made possible only because it's also a receiving somewhere every receiving is made possible because it's also uh, a giving but to but also you know all the the giving in the world, again, when we say giving, we're talking about the giving of value to the marketplace. Right. All the giving in the, in the world is, is fine. It's terrific. But again, it's all for naught if you're not willing and able to allow yourself to receive in like measure because you're simply going to block the flow. The key then is not, you know, am I a giver or a receiver? No, that that's that that's the wrong question. <laughs> that that's what we call the treacherous dichotomy or the false dilemma, the unnecessary use of the word or. You know, am I a giver or a receiver? No, you're a giver and a receiver. However, the key is where your focus lies, okay. and, and that's why it's important to focus on the giving of value, focus on the giving, and then allow the receiving. Then, of course, you've got more to give and more to receive and more to give and more to receive. And that's why the free marketplace is the greatest way to increase abundance for everyone. 
I so appreciate you explaining those laws. It is so apparent when you explain it how they work together, how you can't have any without the others. So you couldn't have four of them without the fifth or three of them or one of them and still have that level of success. And because they all tie into each other, it's just it's, it right. really frames it. And what you just said about focusing on giving and allowing the receiving is probably my favorite statement so far. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Really, it's so descriptive and so just really, I think, for me, it encapsulates it. So I, I want to shift a little bit to these paradigms about sales. You break them down in your teachings. You break them down, and I was wondering if you could share some of that because I, I it goes along with all of this, and I think it's a critical point. Sure. Well, one of the things John and I wanted to do as we talk about selling is sort of define it so that we're uh, define what it is and, and what it isn't, so that we're all basing uh, the explanations on the same premise. Uh, because let's face it, selling has a bad name, and uh, mainly because of salespeople, and, <laughs> but and more than that, because of con artists who yeah. who people assume is the same. Uh, uh, as a salesperson, but it's not. A professional salesperson is interested and focused on providing value to the other person, understanding their income derives as a result of that. A con artist is focused just on themselves and will do anything they have to in order to, um, to, to, to separate someone from their money. So it's two totally different things, but unfortunately, it's sort of the it's sort of like when people talk about uh, you know cronyism, which is when um, uh, big corporations or special interest groups get special favors from government in exchange for campaign contributions and such. <clears throat> Excuse me, terribly. And people often confuse that with capitalism. You know, they, they call, people call it crony capitalism. Yeah. And it's not. It has nothing to do with capitalism or free market capitalism, which is simply the willing exchange of products, goods, and services between two or more willing parties. Uh, you know, with government's only legitimate function being to protect the parties from force or fraud. So I always say that crony capitalism is to capitalism what Chinese checkers is to checkers. Nothing. <laughs> and so, but if you look at cronyism or crony and you think that's capitalism, well, that's why people have such a bad – well, it's the same. If you look at someone being a con artist as being a salesperson, well, that's going to make someone – uh, not you know that's going to give sales a bad name. So so let's look at what sales is not as well as what it is. See, many people think that selling is trying to convince somebody uh, to buy something they don't want or need. When in actuality, selling is the exact opposite. It's as we talked about earlier. It's finding out what someone does want or need and helping them to get it. Uh, right. Some people think selling is about taking advantage of others. It's not. It's about giving people more advantage through your product or service. Perhaps the biggest upside-down misperception of all, Diane, when it comes to selling, is people thinking that at its core, it's about taking, but it's not. Selling at its at its at its most basic sense, its most basic sense. Um, Selling at its at its utmost, at its at its most profitable, is all about giving, and I mean that actually literally, not figuratively, but literally. Selling is about giving because the old English root of the word uh, uh, sell is salan, which literally meant to give. So when you're selling, you're literally giving. Now, someone might say, okay, Bob, I, I get it. That's really funny, very clever. But isn't that just a semantics? And I would say, I don't think it is, and, and here's why. And I would say to someone, let's say you are in a selling context. You're in a selling situation. You have a prospect in front of you, and you're going to now talk to them about their your products and services and so forth and so on. When you're in that selling situation, when you're selling, what are you actually giving? And I suggest you're giving them time, attention, counsel, education, empathy, and more than anything, value. 
So when you're selling, you really are giving. So if you're a salesperson, you should be very proud of what you're doing. Uh, you're, you're the motor that moves the economy. Without you, absolutely nothing happens. Uh, and this is why people who you know, have this thing about being in sales, I mean, they know they're in sales, and when someone says, oh, are you in sales? Like, well, yeah, kind of. I, I, I'm in sales, but I don't really sell. I, I help people. Well, the basic premise there, the false premise is that selling isn't about helping people, which of course exactly. it is. But if you believe it isn't, but you also know that you are in sales, this is going to be a disconnect that's going to hurt your sales. Because as a good person, you will not allow yourself, unconsciously, you will not allow yourself to prosper at something you don't feel is righteous. So the first thing you've got to do is understand why in what you do, you are providing value to others. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's segue from that to this whole concept of closing the sale mm-hmm. because it goes right along with this. You say you, you, you don't close sales. Well, we say you don't make a sale. You can't make a sale. Okay. Thank you. And and uh, and, and here's why we say this, and, and this is a little bit of semantics, by the way, when we when we say this. You can't make a sale. The reason why you can't make a sale literally is you you can't, again, in a free market-based economy, you can't make anybody buy from you. <laughs> you, know, you can't make a sale because you can't make anyone do anything they don't want to do. What you can do is you can create the environment where that person knows, likes, and trusts you, uh, uh, they respect you and your your knowledge, and they come to to feel and believe that the benefits of your product match up with their desire, and they decide to buy. So while you can't you can't make the sale, you can create the environment where they choose to buy, and you're there to receive the sale. Now uh, again, might somebody say, "Isn't that just semantics?" Now to this, I would say, "Yes, it is," but I would also say, Diane, that sometimes semantics are important not only in what you tell others about what you do but in what you tell yourself about what you do you see if you believe that your job is to go out there and make the sale then it's all about you on the other hand if you believe you're you're out there to simply create the environment with that person based on their self-interest based on their needs wants and desires chooses to buy well now your focus is on them and that's exactly where it should be yes it really seems to me like it's mindset mm-hmm. it's a semantics okay but it really is about mindset where is your focus you know, it, it, it's so interesting that you bring that up. There's a, a book that came out about, gosh, maybe four months ago uh, by Adam Grant. He's a, a Wharton business professor, and the name of his book is called Give and Take. And he did a study on, on givers, takers, matchers, different ways people are. And he cites in his – excellent book, by the way. And he cites a study of Australian financial advisors. So these are stockbrokers, people who are selling – uh, financial services, in a sense, to, to help people create and manage their finances, their financial growth. And so the study was on what makes these top-producing salespeople, financial salespeople, what makes them so successful? What separates them from all the other financial advisors? And, of course, they, they took things into consideration such as financial expertise, Uh, ability to work hard, both of those certainly showed up. They were both very important. But the determining factor was simply that the the, the top producing, the most successful financial advisors put the interests of their clients above themselves and even above their own companies. And because of that, the result was they actually were the most profitable. That's great. It proves the point. Yeah, it really does. It, it really does. And I, I, I thought his book was uh, was really terrific. Sure. Yeah. And and it, it's uh, what's so funny for me is that I'm not surprised that study turned out that way. And and your book and the things that you talk about for me are common sense. It just makes perfect right. sense to me. And yet. There are so many people who aren't 
getting it and aren't successful, definitely struggle. And it, it's hard to get them to see it. Yeah, well, remember, you're a successful business person. The successful business people were doing this long before the book came out. You know, when the Go-Giver first came out, the, the, the early adopters of the book, and it, it, you know, we were very fortunate. It sold well right from the start. And what happened was the people who were buying it weren't the people who needed it. <laughs> they were the people who were always doing this. They, they right. got it. I mean, this is this. They, I, they saw themselves in it. And, you know, we, we were getting calls and email. You know, this is what I've been trying to teach my people to do. You know, so we had, you know, we had CEOs and we had marketing directors buying hundreds of books and thousands of books. One company bought 15,000 books. So, you know, I mean, they just wanted their company to have this kind of, but it, it's nothing that the leader hadn't told them before. But sometimes, you know, from when it's a third party or when it's in book form, or because it's, a, you know, the go-giver is kind of a, a fun story that takes an hour, hour and a half to read. So it's, you know, but, but there's nothing new about it. And successful people have been doing it like this forever. Now, what happened was the book got passed along to others, and then all of a sudden, six months to nine months later, we're getting emails from people who were saying, oh, my business was struggling and this and that, and it was so oh, so frustrating, and then I was passed along this book from a successful friend of mine, and I started to apply, you know, and now their business turned around. That's great. But remember, uh, you know, there's a certain amount, perhaps that Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule. Right. <laughs> but, you know, a certain, a small percentage. Like, like yourself, already know know this. This is something that you've been doing forever. You were doing it intuitively or you learned it early, what have you. Uh, but, but, yeah, most people, they don't understand it. But, you know, hopefully both through this book and the many other great books out and teaching like yours and your your show that you have on that you bring so much value to people, people get to, to be exposed to the idea. And there's always those who are not ready to accept it yet, and then there are others who are. And it kind of goes like that. So we've got to be patient, love people where they're at, and just kind of encourage them. Well, that is true. And my wish is that people are receptive. See, love, mm-hmm. law number five, are receptive <laughs> to embracing this idea and at least trying it. This is like exactly. doing a gratitude journal for 30 days. What can it hurt? Right, right. Right? Not going to be any worse off than you are right now. That's and who right. Who knows? And then it always works. And so, so, so you have have something called the law of left field, which is not one of the five. Right. Uh, but I'm wondering if you could share that. Yeah, you know, the law of left field, and I had learned this from John, my co-author, because he had actually, this comes from an article he wrote years ago, and um, and and he sent it to me when we were doing the end for the, for the, the follow-up book, Go-Givers Sell More. And he said, do you think we should use some of this? And I read that article. He wrote, oh, my gosh, John, this is brilliant, uh, because it really summed up everything we had, we had talked about. And the law of left field simply says uh, the, great, the, mo- the most valuable gifts or the greatest gifts will come to you at moments and from places you least expect. Now, that, that sounds good and, and sounds very esoteric, but, but it's really not. And so we have to ask, why does that happen? Why does it seem to to come out of nowhere from where we least expect? And and so so let's ask the question and, and, and look at it and see what we say is when 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 living our lives and, and conducting business according to these these principles, all sorts of value showers down upon us from that that unnoticed uh, unseen place. Uh, examples: you you find a, a a critical lead, you receive a great referral. You make a crucial last-minute connection that turns into some hugely lucrative new customer or client. Um, A golden opportunity drops suddenly into your lap, or some incalculably valuable thing just comes your way, but not from the people or places you might have expected or even, even hoped. You might have even said to yourself, wow, that one came right out of left field. Well, See when <laughs> here's the thing when when living with a what we would call a giving spirit uh focused which again simply means focused on creating value for others, great value comes to you suddenly and unexpectedly and in amounts far greater than what anyone quote unquote owes you but here's the thing, and I think this is this is vitally important I think this is the biggie there's absolutely nothing mystical about this. There's nothing magical about it at all. You, you can't know exactly where these gifts will come from only because they, you just can't know where your influence is spread, but spread it has. You've planted so many seeds of goodwill 
of great will. So many people know you, like you, trust you, want to be a part of your life, that the world has now become what we call a benevolent context for your success. And while you can't necessarily see its operation, there is indeed cause and effect. The cause is giving, the effect receiving. So what happens is there's times when you're going to get business from someone right in front of your eyes, and you know where it's from, it's concrete, it's right there, and there's other times you're going to get business uh, from you know way out of left field, uh, seemingly from out of nowhere, but it's not. Right. In reality, it's out of everywhere because it is directly or even very indirectly the 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 result of the gravitational pull of your influence. Wonderful. That makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. And I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. So, and and we only have a couple minutes left. Uh, and so before I get to, I want you to make sure everyone knows um, how to get in touch with you. I'll type it into the chat room, where they can find your book and all that. But could you... Tell us what a MacGuffin is. Um, I'll have to do a really Reader's Digest version okay. because it's a, it's a little bit of an explanation. But a MacGuffin okay. is, is really – it's a movie term that was created by – that was coined by the late British film director Alfred Hitchcock. And it, it can be defined as the object around which the story revolves. But what happens is in a movie, even though there's usually that one MacGuffin, that object, it's it, you know it's like in, in the movie Rocky, it was the championship fight with Apollo Creed. Remember that long yeah. ago, long ago movie classic. Uh, but when you get to the end of the story, you realize that that's the MacGuffin. It's not really what it's about. It was the you know every everything led up to it, but that's not really what it was about. In in this case, it was really about one man finding his own value. You know, finding right. himself that he wasn't some you know. Uh, just, you know, run-of-the-mill guy, but he had a, a lot of value to offer. It's like in the movie Titanic from 15 years ago. The, the MacGuffin is what? The ship, you know, the Titanic, right. the, the big ship. But that's not what the story was about. It was a love story uh, right. between the two okay. kids, right? Well, it, so in the same way, our product or service is really just a MacGuffin. Uh-huh. It, we're tempted to think it's what the sale's about, but it never is. It's that old story that uh, that we hear in Sales 101, that every year millions and millions of quarter-inch drill bits are bought, but not one person buying one of those millions and millions of quarter-inch drill bits actually wants a quarter-inch drill bit. What they want is a quarter-inch hole. The drill bit is simply the, the MacGuffin. Uh, you know what I mean? It's it's never it's I not do. about the MacGuffin. It's about the hole. Yeah. Uh, yeah, when you're when you're selling uh, a home, if you're in real estate, the MacGuffin is the home, but that's never what it's about. No. It's about creating memories for a family. You know, it's about walking them through perhaps the most de- difficult financial transaction and biggest one they'll ever do with a sense of peace of mind. Yeah. You know, so what happens is as salespeople, we can be focused on the MacGuffin. Yes. But that's never the right thing to be focused on because nobody buys a MacGuffin. Yeah. They buy what the MacGuffin can do for them. Got it. I'm so glad we did that. Thank you. And thank you for shortening it. That was wonderful. Now, please, please, please share with the audience how they can get your book, where you're going to be, what's going on with you, how they can get in touch with you, all that good stuff. Yeah, you know, the best thing is for them to go to Berg.com, B-U-R-G dot com. And while they're there, they can subscribe to my Influence and Success Insights. Um, and they can check out my blog. They can download Chapter 1 of The Go-Giver if they'd like. Uh, but I would really suggest getting on the list because we're creating uh, what we call the Go-Giver community, Go-Giver, which is going to be part of Go-Givers International. And they'll want to know about that because that is going to be a fun way to join the Go-Giver movement internationally and make some great connections and meet a lot of super people. So uh, I would just suggest they can, they can of course, uh, at Berg.com, they can connect with me on all the various social media. So visit Berg, B-U-R-G. G.com, hang out and have some fun. Fabulous. Thank you so much for being here. I didn't even get to all my questions. and It, uh-huh. it was really wonderful. I highly recommend the book and the whole concept of everything thank you can find it. Go to the website. Uh, and thank you all for uh, listening in and um, 
Partic- well, not participating because no one did, but at least listening to the show. We <laughs> always value you and appreciate that. Please remember to visit our sponsor, Win Cleveland, at www.wincleveland.org. Our next show will be on September 9th when my guest will be Wendy Weiss, and we're going to be talking about prospecting by phone. Well, she's great. Uh, she is, isn't she? Yeah, you don't want to yeah. miss that call. No, that is so true. She, she's got great, great information and insight. So, and as always, if you know someone who would be a good guest on the show or a topic that you'd like us to cover, please reach out to me through the show page or through my website and let me know what that is. I'm always looking for wonderful guests like Bob, who we had today. Uh, Thank you all. Have a wonderful couple of weeks. Go out and give and be receptive to receiving. And we will talk again on September 9th. Bye-bye. Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next-door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian jiu-jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.